We live in a world plagued by pornography, and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org liberating. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it. And I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to leadingsaints.org and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. Uh, we have virtual summits that we've done. Check us out on social media and also a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So uh, jump into the Leading Saints world. We're glad to have you. Today, I am in a Marriott in Provo, Utah with Deanna Murphy. How are you, Deanna? Hey, I'm thrilled to be here, Kurt. Thanks. Well, it's been a good day already. You need to know that, let's see, the first interview we did for the podcast has probably been one of the most listened to. And I get emails all the time from individuals that say, I had to listen to that one two or three times. I just, it was so helpful. And so you're making a difference out there. I, I know you know that, but in, in ways that maybe you don't realize. So we appreciate your, your contribution to leading LDS. Now, uh, I heard you were coming to town because you have a new book that, that just come out. Uh, tell us about that. What's the new book and, and uh, what does it preach? Well, uh, the book is called Shift Up, String Strategies for Optimal Living. And it's really designed to help individuals and couples. And that means parents, right? Yeah. It's uh, both marriage and family. It's really designed to help individuals understand how to use strengths strategically in order to create what we would call optimal zone living and working. So the optimal zone would be high energy and high performance. And the principles apply at work. However, they also apply in life. You can become disengaged in work. You can also become disengaged in life and you can become disengaged in the church. You can be active and disengaged, interestingly enough, and many are. So I think it's one of the pieces that becomes particularly relevant to our conversation today is how do we help ourselves and others stay fully engaged yeah. because of the interdependent nature 
of our, it's our very makeup. It is that when individuals choose interdependence, it influences others to choose interdependence also. And we live in a world that is really enthroning independence. It's about me and mine. And sometimes, sadly, that can drift into the culture of the church. And we have a strong codependent business orientation a lot of times. I think we want to be interdependent, but we're codependent. And again, because we live and work in the world, sometimes that drifts over into the church. And so this really is about how do we shift that? The first string strategy is about strategic interdependence. How do we create it? How do we become one so we can be his? So there's bigger purposes, I think, at work here in writing a book about interdependence, about the use of strengths, the use of our gifts, because it matters so much in God's universe for us to understand and use both. Well, definitely a great resource and, and obviously it's available wherever you buy books. And typically Amazon. Buy books on Amazon, right? And Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can order it at your bookstore. Uh, however, it's not on the shelves. You have to okay. order it. Nice. And, you know, we were just talking about before we record just the, the changes that are coming that were announced yeah. just general conference. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot. There's literally about 25,000 plus new elders quorum presidents, a lot of release site presidents that are yeah. scratching their heads. But yeah. like you said, a lot of these line up with these core principles of interdependence. Exactly. And why that's important. But let's first, I want to kind of talk about what just, and, and I was just here in a, in a training you did, a showcase. I don't know what you did, you'd call it, just a brief training. Employee engagement. Okay. About employee engagement. Yeah. And I just sat there and, and point after point, I'm just thinking, man, member engagement, core yep. member engagement. Yep. So many people show up and, and how that's engaged right. are there? And the, the joke is an elders quorum, you know, half the room is on the back row of playing something on their phone or, or yep. scrolling through Facebook, right? So how do we engage them type of thing? Mm -hmm. So, and what I heard is it really starts with understanding the strengths of the quorum, right? Well, what do we need to know about strengths? So one, there's some, I want to answer your question and I want to make a comment that was really interesting. It was important. Megan was here today and she came today because she wanted to understand how do I do a better job of creating engagement at home? So I Mm -hmm. think it's like, it's just a noticing, Kurt, that the principles that apply that we talked today about of creating engagement at work are the same principles that we would use in applying engagement at home or at church. It's the same. So if I would name, there are some sort of high level things that create engagement. In fact, if you do the academic literature, when we talk about the individual, we named three things that are really crucial. And we had a couple of really nice quotes that kind of back that up from some academic researchers. We talked about for us to be meaningfully engaged, there needs to be a sense of connection and it's emotional connection. It's emotional connection of me to me. And in our our case, from me to God and from me to the others around me, the absence of emotional connection creates a withdrawal. We were chatting a little bit earlier uh, that a lot of people can be active in the church. I love my covenants. I still want to go to church. However, I become emotionally disconnected from people and the culture. In fact, I might be a bit transparent, what we call confidently vulnerable in our vernacular. And I would name that I believe that I had a period of time as a member of the church who loves my covenants, never, you know, not had my temple recommend, but I, I was a back row, disengaged, emotionally disengaged member at the time while my husband's in the state presidency and a bishop. Right. It's just that sometimes we get mindsets and we're not aware. So there's that emotional connection that we are responsible for. It's not our bishop's job or our quorum leader's job or a release study president to engage us. It's, it's up to us to do that. However, many of us don't know how to do it. 
Second piece, we call it strengths strategy. I think in the church, we talk about it. We talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about Paul's analogy of we're all a different body part. You know, someone's a finger, someone's an ear, someone's an eye, and everyone matters. There are, of course, uh, wonderful tools out there uh, that help people understand strengths. I personally love Gallup Strengths Finder. It changed my whole life. I've written a chapter about that in my new book that will be coming out next year, uh, just about the impact of understanding strengths and how that starts to shift us. It also matters at church. It's that each of us have a contribution to make, and guess where that contribution is going to come from? The unique gifts and talents that we have. And by the way, in my perspective is that our strengths become reflections of our Heavenly Father's DNA in us. He has them all, and He gives each of us a handful of them. When we see them, we begin to see Him and us. And when I see them in someone else, I see Him in them, which creates an emotional connection. And that creates a way, a language, an understanding that allows us to immediately appreciate and value even those who may be driving us crazy because their strengths are different from us and we don't understand them. The last thing, just quickly, Curtis, since I was naming three things, interdependent strength strategy, and the last one is purpose alignment. We crave purpose. We crave it. It is as though we came to earth with that. I believe the millennial generation more than any other. Uh, there's an interesting statistics that, statistic that suggests that when you look at what engages millennials, the millennial generation, which they'll be you know, in the 75% of the workforce by 2025, Purpose is huge. 83% of all millennials say that they cannot feel engaged at work without it. I believe that that's probably true for most of us. It is also true at church. And there isn't just the big purpose, bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of, of mankind, and then a secondary purpose of, wow, we're all here to help the Savior come back again. There is this thing that each one of us are wired with unique gifts to have a unique impact. And my impact is not yours. And your impact is not mine. I cannot replicate yours. You cannot replicate mine. For each person to understand the way God has wired them and the unique impact that they can make on the lives of others is life-changing because it becomes a way to emotionally connect with yourself, with God, and with others simultaneously. There is a role purpose that matters. As a Stake Relief Society president, I was very clear that there were things that I needed to accomplish during the time that I was in that calling. And I had been called for those reasons, just like Ezra Taft Benson was called because of the Book of Mormon. He was called to help us as a church understand the Book of Mormon. And Howard W. Hunter was called, and it was about temples and making the temple the supreme standard of our membership of the church. And President Monson was about service. We each have a role purpose that is unique to us. And to know what it is, is to say, in this time, the legacy I will leave when I leave behind, not because it's about me, but because this is what God needs me to do before I leave. That matters. That's a second level of purpose alignment. The third one is equally important. And that is, we are in this situation together. What is the bigger why? When I go visiting teaching with my companion, who is from South America, struggles with some personal challenges, is a part, part member family, I recognize that I have more than one purpose. And one of them is to love her. One of them is to create connection with her. One of them is to give her an anchor and to help her feel valuable and loved and needed. And it's also about those we serve. So it's about having clear, what, what is the situational purpose? And then when we align with other people around us toward a shared situational purpose, you explode engagement because we have a bigger why. And it's a why that really matters. And we feel aligned together around it. It's a big deal. And so sort of the, that engagement, you want to engage the, the group in order to align, but you also align so that you can engage. Yeah. And so I love that you name that. There's, there are very skillful ways 
that leaders. So if you are a Relief Society president or you are an elders quorum president and all of a sudden now you have to teach by council and you have been talking head for the last two decades, that's like that's tricky. And so there are there are skills that we can use that are quite simple that as you do, you will engage people. One of my favorites, if you love using a scripture reference, is using Doctrine and Covenants 43, 8 and 9, which the Lord was teaching Joseph Smith way back then. And in short, he teaches Joseph way back then. He was teaching Joseph about teaching by counsel, that we are to instruct and edify one another. And it is the space of, I don't know more than the people around me or in my classroom do. I think I know different things. They know different things. So the skill set is a powerful one, if I can name it. It's actually uh, similar to what we're seeing in seminary and, and institute, what we're seeing in young men's and young women's. And it's learning to ask powerful questions. I'm going to tell you my, my super secret formula, which, by the way, we also teach our facilitators who pay jillions of dollars to come and learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so the super secret formula is this. Anytime you take a concept, you don't deliver, deliver, deliver. You take a nugget of something that's important that you know that God needs us to learn. You feel that by revelation and inspiration. And you take a nugget and then you say, what did you notice? So if we were to read DNC 43, 8 and 9, and we were to look at that together, actually, Shauna, look it up on your phone and let's do it just because we'll model it. I think it could be interesting. So we can look at what a scripture says or what a prophet says that then the very first thing is that we want to ask questions that nobody gets to be wrong about. The challenge is if we don't know how to ask good questions, then judgment comes into the space People will judge themselves before they answer. And so learning how to ask really good questions is a key to teaching by counsel. It's also a key to creating situational purpose alignment. So let's just nice and loud, Shauna, let's read DNC 43 verse 8. And we'll just start that. So everybody just like listen. And I'm actually going to model it for you. And then you watch and see what, what it was. Okay. So nice and loud, Shauna. I give unto you a commandment that when ye are assembled together, ye shall instruct and edify each other, that ye may know how to act and direct my church, how to act upon the points of my law and commandments, which I have given. And thus ye shall become instructed in the law of my church and be sanctified by that which ye have received. And ye shall bind yourselves to act in all holiness before me. Okay. If we were in the classroom together, I would have someone read that. And then I would ask everybody, look down, read it again, and see what you notice. Listen for where the Spirit points you in your heart. And I would have everyone read it again to themselves. And I leave 30 seconds of space, which we don't hardly ever do. (laughs) Silence, no. Silence, (laughs) because it creates room for the Spirit to be the teacher. And then I would ask, what do you notice about that? What jumped out at you? So. Since you're all here and you're hanging out with me, what did you notice, nice and loud? One thing that jumped out at you. What I noticed is that God cares about what we all think. So if you can't hear Megan's voice, Megan said as she was looking at DNC 43 and 8 and 9, what I got was that God cares about everyone's voice. Instruct and edify one another does not mean talking head. Good. What else did you notice? Anyone else? She'll become instructed in the law of my church. Interesting. So there's something about that, that you're looking at, Shauna. What is important about that point from your perspective? From my perspective, I feel like 
doctrine mm. is absolutely vital. Mm. So if you didn't hear Shauna's voice, the question, again, to rephrase the question, so you heard it again, I asked her the second question was, what is important about what you said? Which means the Spirit's teaching her something. Her answer was, it feels to me that doctrine is what matters to God, and he's pointing us toward the doctrine. By the way, we're hearing that from the brethren, right? So when we say instructed and edified about the law, we start to talk about doctrine. What do we mean by that? Let's define it. What would you mean by that? Talk about the doctrine. What would you say that's about? It's sort of your, it's kind of helping you come to a correct mindset, kind of. Mm -hmm. A perspective of how you view life, how you view each other, kind of our behavior, things that shape our behavior. Mm -hmm. I love, there was a really important word that popped right out at the front, which is why it jumped out at me, because it's like it's, there's inspiration in it. There's this something about getting a correct understanding of a core principle. When we talk about doctrine, there are some core principles that are deeply important in the gospel of Jesus Christ, aren't they? So when we start to say, okay, again, I'm going to reframe so you hear it again. The first question I ask you is what jumps out at you? You're listening for what the Spirit teaches you. Then when you answer the question, I'm saying, what is important about that? Then you're starting to tell me, wow, it feels like the Savior's pointing us here. Then it's like, what does that mean? Now we're going, can you feel that we're going deeper? So then the next question might be, okay, so how would you then apply that portion of that verse? How would you apply it now that we know that? What would that mean? What would you do differently because of that portion of that verse? I'm understanding. Understanding the doctrine, understanding the law, the framework. So if you hear Shauna, she's saying, then that means in our lessons, it means that it would point us more towards understanding the doctrine. As a teacher, I could prepare more to understand the doctrine. In our classes, I would be looking more toward the doctrine. And I would love you to just notice something. By the way, I would do this in a class. Notice what it feels like right now. Notice what's happening. What do you notice? Excitement. (laughs) I feel kind of like connected in a sense that we can figure, we can come to new ideas together. There's an energy thing. If you can't hear Megan's voice, she used some words that are very important. She said, hmm, I feel excited. Notice that that is an experience of the Spirit. I feel connected. Remember we said what creates engagement? If every single person every Sunday walked out and they felt excited and connected, there would be no emotional disengagement in the culture of the church, which I think sometimes people leave the church because of the culture, not because of the doctrine. They don't know what to do. If there was a way that every single time we came to worship together, you left excited and connected, it would change everything. There's also, she's coming back to the point that she made at the beginning. There's this feeling of it's us coming back together. You could actually feel interdependence happen in the space. And you could feel them building off of each other's ideas. As an instructor, notice that I was, if I was in the instructor role, I'm holding my own commentary kind of to a little bit. Because I'm interested at this point, the Spirit is teaching you something, which then teaches you something, which then teaches you something, and that teaches you something. And all of a sudden now, the engagement has happened at the speed of light. And the shared purpose alignment is whatever the thing is, even if we're opening a DNC 43, we're going, that becomes the purpose. You can spend an entire lesson on one verse. We got one point. There are about six more that we could ask the same questions to. So let me invite you back. By the way, I would also do this with the class. What did you just learn? There were four or five different 
kinds of questions. What did you just learn? What did you notice? I'm going to do it again. What did you notice by what just happened? What observations do you have? Which, by the way, is the first question, in case anybody wanted to notice. <laughs> what did you notice? What just happened about how we did that? Yeah, good. There's a shared knowledge in the question asking, what do you notice? Means you're never going to be wrong. The second thing that happens is it connects you to you and you to the spirit. Because the moment you're reading that scripture again to yourself or that quote of that prophet, what happens is something is going on inside of you and the spirit is teaching you and you heard it. The moment you open your mouth, you become accountable to it. And you have just told Heavenly Father, I heard you. And I'm going to put it out there so that the others around me get to be blessed by it. What did you notice? Nobody gets to be wrong. I love teaching. I get to teach this to, I've been brought into a few zone conferences. Teaching this to missionaries is life-changing because you're never wrong. If you ask, what did you notice? You don't have to understand deep doctrine to say, what did you notice? So I'd love you to think about the question that I asked Shauna after she said, I noticed that thing about instructed in the law of my church. I asked her a question. Do you remember what it was? And it's okay if you don't. Well, that was the, that was the third question. That because what did that mean? And what's important about that? Those two can, you, mm. those are interchangeable. So it's, that's not really a wrong answer because mm. sometimes what, did you, what do you mean or what do you think he means by that? What do you think he means? I always ask it that way because there's not a right or wrong. What do you think doctrine means? Hmm. There's no wrong answer to that. What is important about that is a really powerful question because the moment that happened, purpose alignment happened at a deeper level and we got aligned with God. Because Shauna then starts to say, God knows that we will find joy through the doctrine of Christ and the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as soon as we start to go there, all of a sudden the reason becomes clear and we become more aligned with him or aligned with each other. And you can feel the alignment just begin to happen because you just start to feel one. Yeah. I have to, my commentary about this, I just have to do this. You, you were yeah, going to say no, something, but it's, <laughs> if I were to go to another scripture that where I would go is John 17, it's the great intercessory prayer, right? And you open up the first verses and what's astounding to me is that he is praying for those who are his and his longing is that what? They will be one. one. As thou father art in me. And it's interesting. I, I remember asking a group of Relief Society presidency members, Why? In those verses, did he go there? Why do you think he wants us to be one so bad? And it's interesting because if you go to John 17, verse 13, he gives the answer. And his answer is that my joy might be fulfilled in you. The moment we become disconnected from ourselves and him and each other, joy disappears. And the moment we reconnect, joy reappears. And it is not about, as Elder Nelson then taught, then Elder Nelson taught, that joy is not about the circumstances of our lives. It is about the choices that we make. And when we make choices to get connected to one another and to God and to ourselves, we feel joy. And that unity that you mentioned, it's, it's not about everybody having the same opinion, That's but right. everybody is connected. Right. It's not about believing the same That's thing. Right. It's about feeling connected. And that's where the joy comes that from. That is exactly right. You know, if we could have kept going with DNC 43, eight and nine, we would have, we could have spent another 30 minutes because I'm pretty sure Megan saw something different. Right. And I bet it was also important what the spirit taught her and what it meant. And we could have said, well, you know, when we instruct and edify each other, there are some amazing promises. One of them is we will bind ourselves to walk in all holiness. 
we become one. It's so amazing. The brethren see it, you know, they get it. They're trying to teach us how to experience instructing and edifying each other. So we feel the joy of oneness. How do we do it? You do it through teaching, through counsel, by asking really good questions. And it's the same four questions over and over again. What did you notice? What's important about that? What does that mean? And my last question is then what will you do? What will you then do? How does this apply to your life? And so many times, one of the biggest mistakes I see is that we'll read a verse and before I've had a chance for the spirit to tell me something about it, at least one of my favorite ones that I see in Relief Society is, has anyone ever had an experience like this? I'm not ready to go there. (laughs) And it's a very, it's, that's the fifth question if you're going to go there. Yeah. Because by then the spirit has prepared my heart and I feel, and I feel connected to everyone. Now I can go be vulnerable and tell you my story. That can't be the first question because you just have radio silence. No one's ready to go there. So I just think it's something about when we, we create questions where no one gets to be wrong. We don't put someone on the spot. We always ask those questions. What does it mean? Is not, what does God mean? <laughs> what do you think it means? Oh, good. And what do you think it means? And what do you think Mm -hmm. it means? Because by the time I've asked that three or four times, all of a sudden, it's like you can start to see puzzle pieces flowing together. And maybe between us, we'll get the 360 degree perspective of that. And by the time we're done, we're we're all going to go, okay, God means this. And it's amazing what happens when the spirit teaches Lisa something different than it teaches Carl. And we have room for Lisa's voice with Carl's voice. It's like, God wants that. He wants us to do it. I'm so grateful that their brethren are teaching us about that and teaching us how to do that. So cool. And these are such pivotal principles, especially with, you know, the high priest group and the elders quorum combining now that there's nothing, all these new elders quorum presidents, all they want is engagement. And really what they want is they want connection. They want unity in that quorum. And this is, you know, the the model of counseling. Obviously it's not a coincidence (laughs) that they encourage counseling and then made this change. Like counseling is so pivotal in unifying this, this new quorum, right? That's amazing, Kirk. What a neat observation, right? So we start with councils and then we unify. Yeah. And in the process, teaching people to teach differently. You know, the one final thing about this whole piece of instruction, obviously this is what I do for my whole life. So this matters a lot to me, but I think there's something really important about saying, if we're reading a talk, you know, for the, that's our lesson is a talk, or we've got something that we're using as a source it's like the thing that becomes so crucial instructors in their preparation. It's right where Shauna was pointing us. So if we go back to application for a minute, there is something that God needs these people who are here to hear that's in there. And it might be one point. It's not 10, it's one or two. And so the, the thing that becomes important is to say, which of the points that are inside of this talk or the, the material, the source material are the lesson, the points that are important to Heavenly Father. I would never do more than three. Three is almost too many. And then I would say, what scripture or quote from a prophet or apostle becomes important to mine? And you can, again, you can take one and we could have built an entire 45 minute lesson around 43, eight and eight, nine. And we just ask those same four questions because you can pop right back up to the top again. And as soon as I'm done talking about doctrine, wow, that's so cool. Then the next thing is like, what blessings did you notice were in those verses? And there are three or four. And what is important about that? Because the spirit taught, you know, at least it's something different or making something different. And you can stay and go deep and deep and deep. And then you pop back out again. And all right. And what did you notice, Lisa? Because there's no way that anyone gets to be wrong. 
And then you build a lesson around one point or two points, but connection is deep and we all leave feeling one and we felt excited and connected. And I could feel the spirit testifying of something important to me that was important enough that I could say it to someone else. And when that other person looks at me with acknowledgement, they've received it. I feel loved and valued because I have made, even if it's a difference that's much, I contributed and everyone hungers for that. And God gave each of us a piece of the equation. He didn't give any of us all of the equation except the Savior. He's the only guy who got it all. President Nelson, as awesome as he is, he doesn't have it all. That's why he has a quorum of 12 apostles and two of counselors. Yeah. He doesn't get to have it all. Yeah. None of us do. Yeah. At least not in this life. Adam uh, leaves a comment on, on Facebook, says, what does he want us to, why does he want us to be one? That the world, and quoting, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them. And he says, this is powerful to me. What a great teaching to remember. Adam, you're right on the money. It's like, that's, that's the thing of it, right? In a day where so many people question whether the Savior really was the Savior. And it's like, he's coming back. Yeah. He misses us. So you talk about, uh, as far as like creating engagement in a group, in an organization, when we've talked a lot about, and this is interdependence, right? It is. And, and that's what the council facilitates interdependence because right. the, the old tradition is that we would show up on Sunday, there'd be a teacher and we would all depend on the teacher, right? Exactly. And, and show up and say, what do you got for me? Let's hear it. You know, give, <laughs> give us your spiel, right? What, what object lesson are you going to show right. us this week? But the council setting creates the interdependence, was it, it, which is sort of fun to be a part of, but it creates connection, which yeah, then leads to right. engagement, right? That's beautiful that you saw that. I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm, on, well, I'm on point here. So I'd like to think, like just it's a noticing, right? Because if our brains have not switched to where the brethren are teaching us, what will happen is you'll come and you'll show up if you're the instructor and you teach from independence. Yeah. So, you know, that we've got, you know, four different mindsets that you can approach teaching from. And we talked about interdependence as what we were just modeling, which I think is what God was teaching Joseph Smith way back in DNC 43. And the dependence mindset is I could teach from dependence. You realize that, right? And that is that I come with my list of 10 questions and I put a question into the space. I've watched instructors do this. And then I like, wait, and I wait, I wait for the room to create the learning. Mm. And I, I've not done the work to know what is the salient thing that God cares about in this talk. So I'm not prepared to work with the group to create connection around doctrine. So I wait at the front of the room and then I'm frustrated. And then I just go to my next question. And then you start to feel like somebody is just shooting questions at you, but it isn't, <laughs> it, it's not meaningful. Yeah. The meaningfulness is that purpose alignment and we crave it. We ache for it. We yeah. long for it. So there's something about that that matters. I also see instructors that do independence and that's talking head. I'm an expert. The rest of you, see, I've been studying this lesson now for two weeks because I was doing my <laughs> spiritual preparation. Let me inform all of you what the spirit taught me. And I'm afraid it's still too common. And instructors that come believing it's their job to be a, a talking head. And there is no engagement from talking head. Not anymore. Well, okay. If you're President Nelson, that might work. <laughs> I don't know. Time and place Although, for that, right? yeah, general conference, yeah. and that was amazing, right? right and right, even yeah. even there, it didn't feel that way because they have done their work. They have in, engaged with the spirit ahead of time, so that the spirit is teaching them. So there is a way that they're interacting with us because the spirit is teaching us, and we are receiving them, and they don't have to see our eyes to know that. And there's a, that's, it's amazing how they do that. We could all take a page from that book. Yeah. The last point, though, there's a mindset that I, I see as codependent. And we don't usually talk about codependence. We don't talk about it at church, and we certainly don't talk about it at work. 
But I'm telling you that in my opinion, this is just my humble opinion from the research that we've done, that codependence is alive and well. In fact, I believe it is probably the primary voice from the employee perspective. A lot of times it's us versus them. Mm -hmm. It's those people over there don't get me. You are my people. So it's we create these factions of like-minded people. If I'm in my 60s and all of my children are gone, my people are the other fellow empty nesters. You younger people aren't my people. If I'm 30 and I have two children, my people are the other young people who are growing their families. And God didn't intend for that to happen. And there's something about how we create this space of it's not us versus them. There is no us versus them in the church. It's you people who are white or you people who grew up in the United States or you people. There is no you people. But I think we have our you people things going on in the culture of the church. And I think we can instruct at the front of the room from that. We can lead from that place. Mm. And it's a dangerous place because what happens is it's my people that I'm teaching to and validating. I'm looking for validation from you. So I will, you know, I'll show up and be fully present but I need you to give me something or I'm not okay. And then I'm judging myself when I walk out the door. I just think it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we speak to why people disengage with the culture of the church, I think sometimes it's codependent. If I, you know, my people aren't doing what I think they should, then I leave. I mentally leave. And uh, we try to find our little groups around us. So yeah. I think we just have to be, we have to be thoughtful that that codependence can be a pretend interdependence. <laughs> yeah. And I get it with a few people. And then if I don't have my people, now I move to a new ward and now I don't have it. And then I'm mad. I'm yeah. mad at the ward or I, and I disengage. Anyway, just a couple. And I think it's important you hit on those because the goal is interdependence, but we need to know what, if interdependence isn't there, what does it look like? Well, it looks like independence or yeah. dependency or codependency. It, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I didn't speak to that we teach uh, when we teach this in business and when we do this with coaching, we talk about dependence. The mindset kind of behind it is you serve me. Like, I'm not quite sure what to do. So it's uncertainty and an uncertainty around acting. And you can do that as a leader. You can do it as a follower. You can do it as a visiting teaching companion. You can, I mean, it's all, all kinds. You serve me. It's the waiting game. I'm not sure what to contribute. So I wait. Independence is I serve me. I'm just going to go take control. Do you remember some of our earlier conversations, Kurt? It's kind of like, it's, this is the directive. I am the leader yeah. and I'm going to tell you what to do. Independence it's about me feeling good about me. And it's almost like I, I know that I need to be connected to you, but I have blinders on. And one of the reasons we do it is because even in the church singing, I am a child of God from the time we were two, we have adopted a mindset of the world that says my value is equal to my performance. If I make a mistake, if I don't have the right accomplishments, if I didn't go to the temple five times and did my family history, wrote in my journal, read my scriptures every day, and did my visiting teaching 100% for the last five years, then my value has somehow gone down. And that is a lie. And we believe yeah. it anyway. We who have been taught so much have been caught in the mindset of the world that value goes up and down like the stock market. And it does not. Does not. And I, there's a fear around that that really catches people. And it's something about how we help people hold their immutable, unalterable value the way God does. And to be able to, you know, how often when you have made mistakes that you say, I don't want to pray. Why? Because you think your value has been affected. God is going to somehow love me less because doesn't that what, isn't that what the scriptures say? <laughs> he was mad at the wicked people. And they have to work a little hard. Well, I've been, I've, I'm wrong somehow. So God loves me less. No, yeah. 
we, to understand the way that God loves is to be able to see ourselves. The guy, the only guy who has the right to judge us is the guy who is the most merciful of all and the least likely to do so. We are way harder on ourselves than he ever is. Yeah. Just, and, and the toughest part about that uh, dynamics is that I saw it many times as a bishop that there'd be individuals who'd been returned missionaries who'd gone two years preaching about the beauty of the atonement of Jesus Christ and, and redemption and, and eternal value. But then when it came to them and they were in the bishop's office, suddenly, well, that doesn't apply to me. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't reach me. Yep. So that's so difficult, you know, to, to get past that. It makes sense on paper, but in my life, I'm not sure. It doesn't feel that way. It's, it's interesting. Just a, a comment about that. You know, this, this book of uh, writing a book about strengths, it's an interesting thing what happens when people begin to see their identity through the lens of strengths. Mm. Again, because this whole thing that my value is equal to what I do. And if I'm not aware of my strengths, I may not understand what I can do. Therefore, I think my identity is compromised. Like somehow you got more than I got. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're the eyeball. So you're way more important in the you know, scheme of things. I'm just like the pinky figure or whatever the thing is. And, and so one of the things that I believe is so important, it was a question that you uh, alluded to earlier. There was something so, so powerful about each person understanding what, what part of God's DNA is in me. Uh, the second conference talk Saturday morning, uh, Elder Tracy, I think was his name. And he talked about that one of the greatest and most important things that we can do to help people engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ is help them understand their identity. Yeah. And I do not know how it happens somewhere between two and 20 that gets beat right out of us by this world. So true. And all of a sudden now it's my identity is about my grades. My identity is if I'm on that sports team, now I'm 40 and I'm still doing what I did when I was 18 or 17. And my identity is, did I go to the temple last week? Did I marry in the temple? Did I, do I look like the perfect Mormon family? And all of a sudden my identity is compromised. If I start to compare, which is pride, right? That's what Elder right. Benson, President right. Benson said, right? <laughs> then all of a sudden my identity is compromised. And it's almost as though, we get caught in the mindset of the world, which is a deficit-oriented mindset. What is wrong with me? Yeah. I must fix what's wrong with me. And we can't see anymore what's right yeah. and what does God see and how does he see. And, and when we can't see it about ourselves, ironically, we can't see it about other people. Yeah. Because it gets reflected out. And, and the tough part about that is that, um, you know, growing up, how that gets beat out of us isn't so much because we're hanging out with the, the bad kids. It's because no. we're hanging out with the good kids, you know, and we're constantly slipping into this com comparing, it's, right? And so it's, 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 in, it's, we're in the world. It's yeah. like, it's just, there are, uh, I think it's DNC 124 that talks about the creeds of the fathers get riveted on the minds of the children. That's the, that's mm. the statement that the, the, the savior makes to Joseph Smith. And then it, he talks about how it creates confusion. And unbelief. Well, yes, if my value somehow and my identity gets lost, that I am no good if I do not have a 4.0 grade point average. I am no good if I didn't do my visiting teaching every single month for the last whatever. The, the things we, and we start to hang our value over things. I am no good if I didn't get to marry in the temple. Uh, I'm no good if I didn't get to marry. You know, heaven forbid, I have a sweet disabled daughter whom I love more than she's taught me more than anybody in the world. I think she came to be my teacher, not the other way around. And she, for years, struggled with, I, I'm probably not going to marry in this life. 
and I'm a good Mormon girl and aren't good Mormon girls supposed to get married? And <laughs> it was so such a, a an epiphany for her to be able to go, well, God doesn't love me less. And I all of those promises are still mine someday. And to be able to completely embody that and to just love who she is. And the thing that's amazing is the moment that happens, it's it's like she is the most connected human being I know. She has friends from three to 93. She never, you, if you, if we move somewhere, she never, she, she never leaves anyone behind ever. Her mm. best friend when she was three is still her best friend. <laughs> and we moved when she was six. Yeah. You figure that one out. And there's, she teaches us something that if I'm not judging myself, then I stay connected to people. The moment I judge myself, I feel disconnected. I can feel disconnected from God and feel disconnected from other people. It's yeah. so huge. So. Which goes back to engagement, right? That yeah. in a quorum, when when people dis- disconnect, they they disengage. Right? Um, and so we've we've talked a little bit about strengths here in this conversation about about eternal value and and shame <laughs> and, and whatnot. What what do leaders, for example, the new elders quorum presidents coming in? What do they? They're they're walking into a quorum. What do they need to understand about strengths with their counselors and with their quorum? Oh man, that is a that is a great question. So I'm going to give you the the the, the <laughs> kind of strengths 100 answer. Okay. Okay. There is a, there's something really awesome in the research that I totally love. And of course I'm going to cite Gallup because I've spent a lot of time there. Although I've studied some of the other assessments and find them also fascinating, but Gallup really talks about if you were to go and do what they call a factor analysis of the 34 strengths, they kind of fall mathematically into four buckets. And I've learned that if you listen to somebody for about three minutes, you can discover what their primary orientation is, their primary contribution is, when you know what their primary contribution is, what's amazing about that is that it then allows you to enroll people. So I'm going to just give you, here are the four different kinds of people uh, mathematically when you start to think about strengths. So you have one bucket of strengths that Gallup calls strategic thinking. Here's how you would know them. They are going to ask a million questions. They love asking questions. They want to understand why. They love new ideas. They will be the ones that will be very excited about going deep into the understanding of something, the intellectual understanding, the strategic piece of how things fit together. That's, they're the 30,000-foot view thinkers, and they're, they can be really good at history, looking back and seeing the perspective of time, looking forward and seeing the the future. And you can tell them because they're going to ask questions and be excited about ideas. They're also going to need room to share and brainstorm. They love that. So in that council setting, it, it becomes important. You can kind of listen for and watch the way that they engage with you. By the way, strategic thinkers will often look up and away when you talk to them mm. because they're thinking. They look up and away. It's kind of interesting. So almost from a body language standpoint, you can see them in two or three minutes by where they put their eyes. The second, there there are two kinds of task-oriented strengths. Strategic thinkers are one. Another task-oriented group is called executing. Executing are the ones who want to get it done. These are worker bees. These are going to be your people that want to have 100% visiting, teaching, home teaching, now ministering every single month. They're the ones that just give me a task. Thank you very much. Don't give me the whole big blah, blah, blah behind it. I want to know what the goal is, what's important about it. And then I want to go to work. They love, they love doing. You'll know who they are because they're going to be interested in, it's about a little bit about where they're looking. They're looking for what is the objective? What is my role? What do you need from me? And when can I start? Hmm. They're also going to want to know why should I be doing this? 
by the way, that is important to them. I want to think if there's anything that would be useful about how would you recognize them from body language? They tend to be a little more serious executing. <laughs> like you'll notice, like they're, they're not going to be a smiley, you know, they're, they're, they're a little more serious. And so you'll, you'll sometimes recognize that in their demeanor. They're very, you know, they're, they're thoughtful. They're going to knit their eyes together. So it's, it's just an interesting thing to notice. So one of the things that's important to notice, we've got task-oriented strengths and then we have relationship-oriented strengths. But just because you're kind of more oriented toward task, it doesn't mean you don't care about relationship, but you create relationship through the task. So if you have somebody who's disconnected, that's either kind of more like strategic thinking or executing, you know, the fastest way to engage them, give them a task, Hmm. put them in a group with other people and they have to solve something. Great. That will enroll them and they will start to create relationship almost immediately. Isn't that cool? Wow. Relationship oriented people or relationship driven people, by the way, it doesn't mean that they don't care about task. Here's what it does mean is that if the relationships are lousy, the task will suffer. These are your people that if they're not getting along with their visiting teaching or home teaching companion, their ministering companion, they're going to struggle. So it's something about paying attention to the relationships. So two different kinds of relational oriented strengths. One, we would call influencers. You will know them immediately. Their energy is big. They're charismatic. They're confident. They carry themselves with ease. When they speak up, everyone listens. You'd follow them over a cliff, although they wouldn't usually lead you over a cliff. They're about relationship for the sake of going somewhere. They want to enroll people. They might be the first people to raise their hand if you ask a question in class, interestingly enough, because they're excited. They have something to say. So it's important to note that. The other group is what you would call relationship building. And they might be a little, you're going to have to watch to spot them a little more carefully because they can look sometimes like strategic thinkers because they're often a bit more quiet. They will be the last people in the room to answer a question. And they will almost always answer a question if you call on them. They almost always will have something to say because they have remarkable perspective. However, they're often, they're not sure if their contribution is as valuable. It's very interesting how we talk about the importance of relationship and then we actually downplay it. And so relationship builders often will struggle a little bit to Mm. feel that they have something of value to offer, which Mm. is so funny, right? Yeah. And so you'll notice them because they're about relationship for the sake of relationship. They are your super glue. They're the person who will strike up the conversation sitting next to them in Relief Society or uh, in Elders Quorum and High Priest. And they're just, they just connect and they care and you can feel it. And it comes right from here. A lot of times I would say, here's an interesting thing. If you ask those on the relationship axis, especially relationship builders, what they think, sometimes they'll have a hard time answering you. If you ask them what they feel, they can always tell you. And it's usually what they think because they think with their heart. Sometimes by the same token, those that are strategic thinkers or executing, if you ask them what they feel, they might go, wait, I'm not sure. I've even had some interesting conversations with members of the church who live strong on that task axis who've said, I've never had a burning in my bosom. I don't know what that is. So I think maybe the spirit doesn't talk to me. I want to say, wait a minute. Okay, tell me more. Tell me when you read a verse of scripture, what it's like for you. Well, I get these ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I get this insight that points me to look at another verse. Okay, that is the same thing. And I, it's something like, it's so important for us in our leadership roles and responsibilities and how we communicate this to understand that somebody who's highly task oriented will experience a burning in their bosom that feels a little bit more like a light bulb in their head. And that is not bad. And if you've never felt a burning in your bosom, it's like, it's okay. Because if you have light bulbs in your head, it's the same thing. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost. 
And there's a way that a lot of times strategic thinkers are feeling through their thoughts. If you ask them what they feel, they might not be able to tell you if they ask you what, if you ask them what they think, they can tell you every time. It's so funny. The relationship axis, they'll tell you what you, what they think about something. If you ask them, what do you feel about this? And they have very strong feelings. They're very impassioned. Both groups are. Yeah. We, sort of, we, we default to the, how do you feel question a lot in the church, especially as missionaries. Exactly. Like, how, how did that make you feel when some people are like, I don't know, good, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's interesting. I, let, let me just draw a connection back yeah. to what we were doing earlier. Remember our first question? Our first question is, what did you notice? It's not, what did you think or what did you feel? Mm. What did you notice? Because if I'm noticing with my mind or if I'm noticing with my heart, it, it's the same. Yeah. And it isn't a surprise that when Megan, who I think actually is a strong relational individual, strong relationship building, her answer was, I feel excited. I feel connected. That's what I noticed. Shauna's answer, very more executing. She has a lot of executing strengths, is I noticed this law and doctrine thing. Yeah. It's, and it, not good or bad or right or wrong. Just notice that her answer came to her head. Her answer came to her heart. And both are right. Right. And uh-huh. so there's something about as we're teaching, as we're engaging that what we will do, here's, this is an interesting thing about strengths, Kurt, to just share. And this happens in the business world too. We're often drawn to people who are like us because they validate us. I can go, hey, you're, you are just like me. And that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you must get it. You, you understand you it like it. I do. Yeah. And we are frightened by people who are not like us. So, uh, and we often end up, we will sometimes end up marrying people who are not like us, which is then super important that we get what I just said. <laughs> Right. Because there's this thing about I appreciate your oppositeness rather than I negate it because I don't understand it. A lot of times as leaders, it's really easy to get drawn to want to bring people in who are like you because they will validate your approach and you will feel uncertain about those whose strengths are really not, not like you. In that we talked about Gallup has the strength finder instrument that has 34 themes of strength. Most adults play to eight to 10. You have a range of about 15, and then it starts to drop off about 18. And by the time you get to number 20, if people show up with your number 20 or 21 or 23 or 34, you don't understand anything. And you might be scared by them. They may be talking in English and you're going, what are you talking about? I don't even understand what you mean. Because their entire language and orientation may be completely opposite of yours. And it's so easy I can't tell you how many times as a Stake Relief Society president, I would sit down with my one-on-ones with my Award Relief Society presidents, which are not stewardship interviews, by the way, because they're they're not accountable to me. But there is something about the one-on-one that matters very deeply. And there was strife inside the presidency. It's directly related to what I just said. And they didn't know how to bring together a 360-degree perspective because the Relief Society president is scared of the people who operate differently from her, and she does not know how to enroll them. Hmm. I saw that. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen both from being, uh, you know, in a member of the church in just a role like this. You can feel the strife and tension. Yeah. You can feel if a presidency isn't one. Just the same way when you're on a mission, if you've got a mission, missionary companion and you're not connected, it's really hard to teach with the spirit. It's the same thing that, what, you know, a Relief Society presidency or an Elders Quorum presidency, their oneness becomes the pattern for the oneness of the group. Yeah. Wow. So with these, and you sort of simplified them to these four areas, the strategic thinking, the executing, the influencer, and the relationship building. So as an elder corn president, do I need to identify where generally everybody's at in the class? And then once I do, what do I do with that? Or, or what, 
What's the role does this play in the week to week responsibilities of, of leading a quorum? That is a really great question. This might be one of those that I go, I don't know if I know how to answer that because my number one strength is individualization. Uh So my brain does it on automatic. (laughs) I think there is something about there is a recognition that becomes important. I believe that in our quorum and Relief Society presidency meetings, as we are counseling more about how to be in service of one another, there is inspiration that comes to us around that. And there's a, there's a noticing of those who become disengaged. They're disengaged because their needs aren't being met. Now, I didn't say this earlier, but our strengths do not just inform what we do well. They inform the conditions under which we flourish. And we disengage when our needs are not met. It's a little sad thing to say, right? It's true. And I'm responsible for my own needs. However, I'm going to share with you most people, if I ask them, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And what do you need? Can you guess which one of those things they could answer best? What are my weaknesses? I guarantee you that yeah. most people can answer that way better than any of the other questions. Which one do you think that they could answer the least about? Actually, strengths is the second. So yeah, it's needs. It's like most people, if I've had a patriarchal blessing, at least I, have, I know something about my strengths because someone told me. <laughs> yeah. I had Paul Allen, who is a dear friend of mine and is a Latter-day Saint who formed uh, Ancestry.com. He was the original founder and became a Gallup Strengths Evangelist. They recruited him because of his amazing talents. He's just wonderful. I love him so much. You know, he said, when I first saw StrengthsFinder, it was like I read that report and cried because it was like I saw my patriarchal blessing. Hmm. I saw my gifts on paper. I saw what was in my patriarchal blessing and I could read it right there and go, God knows me. That is true because that is true. I work with the Ogden North Mission to build this on. It's actually a, a virtual training for missionaries, which, by the way, Kurt, I would be thrilled to put it on a Google Drive and share the link with you because it would be an amazing thing to do with your companion. If you do the Gallup Strengths Finder, what it does is it invites you to look at your strengths. So take your top five. And this is really designed to be done with someone else. So you, okay. you watch the, the webcast and you pause it when it says there's a little worksheet that goes with it. And it's an opportunity to stop and sit down with someone. You could do it as a presidency. You could do it with your companion. And you identify what does the strength mean? What are the contributions of it? And then the next thing is when I look at my patriarchal blessing, what does my patriarchal blessing teach me about that gift? Hmm. It's powerful. It's powerful. And the moment you start to go there, what happens every time is you can't not do that and see God's DNA in you and see something about the purpose for him giving those gifts to you because you have something that you get to do in service of his children. And it starts to pop that out. And the last portion of that video, uh, that webcast is to help individuals design their unique purpose using their strengths and patriarchal blessing together to say the impact I can have on people is this. And so I'd be thrilled to share it. I think it would be a great resource for couples. I think it would be an amazing thing for presidencies to do because then you can go, hey, I'm in this presidency because I think God's wired me to be like this. And hey, I think part of the reason I get to be here now is because I bring this. And by the time you're done, if each presidency member is clear about their impact, there is no fighting. (laughs) I'm going, well, you are so amazing that you're different from me. And I remember in my presidency, I had two women who were MBAs. One of them was a Harvard MBA, by the way. Okay. Just feeling a tiny little inadequacy. And at the same time, 
in the uh, seeking, uh, I was new to the stake when I got called, just not that you want to know this, but I'll share it with you anyway. I'd only been in the stake a few months when I got called to be a stake relief society president, and I didn't know anyone. However, I was an ordinance worker in the temple, and there were women from my stake who would come. And when I start praying for who should I call, the faces come to my mind, not their names, their faces. <laughs> so then I'm just, I'm kind of doing Facebook creeping to figure out who they are. You know, so <laughs> I say, okay, president, that's the, that's the one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. what, what was interesting is, so I didn't know any of them before. And it was such a special thing for us. We actually did it as a presidency. We all did our Gallup Strength Finder. And in our very first presidency meeting, it was something about what can you count on me for? And what, here's what I might need for me to feel confident. Mm-hmm. That is, by the way, a little mm-hmm. scary question. You could do it without Strength Finder. Strength Finder certainly helps. We also have a free tool on our website that could be useful. If you've taken Strength Finder, we have what is called the People Acuity Insight Report, which is kind of awesome because it actually you put your Gallup Strength Finder results in and it actually gives you your contributions, both doing and being, and your needs related to task and relationship. And if I know my needs and I know your needs, then I know how to work with you. I think there's something, let's go back to the question that started all of this, Kurt. It's, it's been, because this was, it's, it, and I told you I didn't have the answer. So this is kind of fun. Although as we've been talking about it, there's an insight that comes to me. So let me name okay. something. What I love that was announced in conference and it was something that I felt deeply moved during the time that we were uh, Stake Relief Society presidency. It was like it was burned into my soul that every person is a one. And that if we were to do only one thing, it was to work with our Ward Relief Society presidencies and by example, to teach them the power of one-on-one ministry. So we would do one-on-one conversations every single month with every Relief Society president and counsel with them for them to do that with their counselors and uh, in Relief Society, compassionate service leader and visiting teaching coordinator, because there's something important about that. And then the counselors would do one-on-ones with teachers. And it's so powerful. I'm just going to tell you that during that time, I still have, it's going to be tender. I, I just, I can tell because when I go back and I think about it at the beginning, I was kind of scared because I think a lot of us are because the announcement was what we were counting now is those interviews. Right. I couldn't believe that Elder Holland, Elder Holland said that. It's what matters that the Relief Study Presidency member or a quorum president sits down one-on-one and says, let's talk about what's going on for you. Now, I'm going to tell you what we did at the beginning because I didn't know what to do. And I'm a professional coach, by the way. <laughs> All of a sudden, now a state Relief Study President going, uh, I'm not I sure exactly how God wants me to do this because <laughs> this is a little different. Yeah. But I found there were a couple of two or three things, if I could just maybe speak to this now that this change has been announced and some people are going to be freaked out about it because we don't know what to do. The first thing that I did, and I was a little bit, I, I, at the beginning, I was, I, I want to say like embarrassed is the wrong word, but I wasn't quite sure, felt very vulnerable. So in that one-on-one, I would always pull a third chair to the table and I would tell my presidents, listen, I'm new to this. I've never been a state relief study president before. And I'm not exactly sure how this is supposed to go. So I'm just going to say that so that you know. And I want you to know that we're going to be instructed by the Spirit together. And I don't know how this is going to go. And I want you to know that chair right over there is going to represent the Savior. Because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. And I'm going to hope he's here today because I don't, I'm not sure if I know. I would say that that uh, allowed me to stop worrying about getting it wrong. The declaration of it gets it out of the way. So the first thing I would say to quorum presidencies and really study presidencies is be okay that you don't know. <laughs> the second thing that I would do is we would always pray together. And just by the way, 
I don't know, for whatever it's worth, I would always ask my president to pray because it would prepare them because I'd already prepared before I came. And it helped her to get into that mindset. And I would name that there were a couple of places that we always looked. And I would always ask, first off, how, I mean, how are you really? Let me do a little check-in. I would say, let's do a little check-in about your life. What's happening that would be useful for me to know? I'm not talking about your calling. I'm talking about you. And I found it was interesting. Sometimes that check-in question would be the entire hour. I will never forget when I had a really sighted president say to me, it was about the fifth time I'd met with her before she got here. But she said, I've been married for almost 50 years and I feel really disconnected from my husband and I have for a long time and I don't know how to fix that. And I'm the really sighted president. And I'm mm. really sad about that. And guess where we went for the entire hour? Right there. Yeah. yeah. Because that's the thing that matters because that's going to get in the way of her ministry. And so at the check-in, how are you, may be the most important question you ask. Yeah. Right? And then it's something about what are you learning in your assignment? You know why that matters? Because that is their opportunity. Oh, actually, can I go back? That's the third question. The second question I would always ask them is, what are you learning uh, from the Spirit in your scripture study and your, you know, your personal time with the Savior? Now, it's interesting. I want to tell you why I asked that question. And I actually think it's useful. You can take it or leave it. This is Deanna Murphy, chapter two, verse three. But <laughs> I would always ask it because I was astounded. When I had a Relief Society president, when I asked that for the first time, her eyes filled up with tears and said, I haven't prayed in three months. And I'm really scared to ask the sisters in my ward to pray because I don't know if God hears me. Oh, that's vulnerable. Wow. Yeah. Now that wasn't the first interview, but I want you sure. to know that when I, because I asked it every single time, it allowed us to get to the core and it's, it's high level. It's just like in your prayer and your scripture study, I just like, I'm interested in what the spirit's teaching you it will help me. And what, what it would do. I had a member of my presidency who was not reading the scriptures and hadn't been for months. And when we started integrating that, guess what? She knew that every month when I have a one-on-one -on -one with her, I'm going to ask her, what is the Spirit teaching you in your prayer and scripture study? And she would say, well, <laughs> I'm sort of reading the Book of Mormon now, and here's what Jacob has to say. And this, this verse in chapter two feels really important to our calling. Yeah, yeah. I found that, that there was a level of spirituality that increased across the presidencies in the stake because somebody cared to ask them what the Spirit was teaching them. And when they got to declare, you know what that's like? It's like a testimony meeting. And I'm sitting across and that really study president is telling me what the Spirit has taught her with tears in her eyes. And there's connection for her here and here and our hearts. And then it doesn't matter if I don't know what to do in the interview, because at that moment we have become one and the Spirit begins to teach me. What I learned is that as long as I prayed and I studied the scriptures faithfully and I went to the temple, which that was another piece of the equation, in that interview, I always knew what to do. I didn't know until I was there just like Nephi. And then in that moment, I'd study the scriptures two days before about the thing that came up and I could go, oh, you know, it's so awesome that you say that. Let's open up the, you know, Book of Mormon to Mosiah chapter four, because King Benjamin says this really cool thing and let's look at it together. And then we would always go to the scriptures every time in response to whatever they said. So it's like, how are you doing? What is the spirit teaching you personally? What's the spirit teaching you in your assignment? And always that allowed us to go to doctrine, just like Shauna said, right? And it was amazing because in that moment when that happened, then the Spirit is teaching them doctrine. And it was so beautiful. And then we would have whatever time. And then it was, then the last thing would be 
Tell me about the people you're serving and what are they needing that you would want me to be aware of? That's the last thing. It's not the first thing because the purpose of those interviews, God is more than, more than just, hey, what, what are you doing there as a you know, visiting, visiting or home teacher and now minister? Like that is, that's the last reason. It's not the first reason. God is building Zion in us and that's the laboratory for doing it. And those interviews, is, it's so amazing. I, I still, I'm astounded. <laughs> I'm astounded at what happened. And I remember having that, that really steady president who hadn't been praying for three months, who had told me her story. And she came up after she was released and she said, I think the bishop wouldn't release me <laughs> because he thought I would leave the church. Mm. And I think I would have because I had lost my connection to God. And she was, she was literally non-functional in her assignment. Her counselors were carrying it. But by the time we got to that fourth interview, she was able to tell me I'm hurting and then she could tell me the circumstances of what caused it and a prayer that she had asked God for something and God had a different answer and it was kind of hard for her and she didn't know how to take it. And, and uh, I just, I, I, there's something so important there. Everyone is a one. There are bishops and Relief Society presidents who have served, who then lead the church when they're done. And I just think there is something about this ministry in this way and these one-on-one interviews that changes the equation. I, one final thing is I remember the last interview that I had before I got released and I knew I was going to be released. I'm sitting across from a relief study president who said to me, there has never been one time that I didn't felt like we were being encircled by angels. It's like, you want to call on the powers of heaven. You have these one-on-one interviews. And it's interesting because I found them so powerful that I, you know, that I do something similar in a smaller way with my children and they're grown. But there's still this place of what is the Spirit teaching you? What's happening in your world? What's important about that to you that creates this connection that is sweet and deep and allows us, even uh, now that my children are all grown up, but it still allows us to have this sweet connection. And the Spirit makes our hearts one. And I love it. It's like God, God knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and the brother, the brother, what they're asking us, it is the most important thing we could do. That one-on-one ministry matters more yeah. than anything. And really, if you can master that skill as a leader, like it takes care of so many problems. Oh, man. So true. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, and these insights have been incredible to hear. And, and, uh, I, there's a uh, one comment, uh, where was it? The individual just said that, uh, it's so simple, but I need bigger note pages. Learning so much. So everybody here has got lots of notes and things. And so yeah. these are just some key principles that we, I think leaders can take and, and really apply. I have kind of a one last question for you, but before we do that, you're coming to Salt Lake city again on, on June 14th. Give us the, on the details of that. Obviously the, the training you're going to be doing, isn't going to be this, you're not going to be reciting from the doctrine and covenants, but, uh, but it's a, a, for yeah. businesses, but these are yeah. still gospel principles. And I'm sure there's many out sure. there that would love to, be part of that. So tell us about that. Yeah. The day is called strength strategies for optimal performance. By the way, it isn't just for business. It's also for individuals. Oh, okay. Good. And, uh, it is, there was an experience I had alluded to it earlier, but if you've got someone in your life that matters and you're struggling in the relationship, it might be a spouse. Yeah. It might be a presidency member. This is one of the most powerful ways that I have ever seen to create almost instant connection and understanding, even between disparate individuals. In fact, I shared a story earlier today. Let me just share the story and then I'll come back and answer your question. I had an experience early on, uh, by the way, I uh, did my master's thesis on the impact of maternal employment upon the development of values as children and ended up 
you know, oh, wow. being directed into uh, doing this, really, literally the spirit throwing open these doors and saying, please go through there, please go through there, always trying to work from home. But I remember being asked and invited by the spirit to leave and start this business, feeling very frightened that the Lord cared that people did not understand who they were, that he needed a bigger stage than Northern Minnesota where I lived, and that he wanted the people of the world to be reached. Within one year, I was in Abu Dhabi. Wow. And I was having an experience that I related earlier in class, which I'll share for the benefit of those of you who are listening. And I was in a group of 25 men, senior leaders of the largest construction firm. There were 13 countries represented, eight different languages spoken. And two weeks prior to my coming, two of the senior leaders had had a fist fight because their differences were so significant and they caused the police to have to come in and break it up. I didn't know that, by the way. That wasn't part of the story till later in the day. All day long, I watched these two men circle each other. It was clear there was conflict between them. I didn't know what, what it was about. One of them was a strategic thinking influencer, Palestinian. The other was a relationship building executor from Egypt. So we've got opposite cultures, opposite language. This is exactly what happens when we get married and we get thrust into presidencies, by the way. It's maybe not different countries, but I have a different language of strengths. And my language is influencing and you better do it the way I do it, you know? And so what ended up happening is all day long as they begin to learn these six strength strategies, strategic interdependence, feed the need. I am responsible for the needs of my strengths. And I need to understand how to take care of my own needs so that I can fully engage and be present with you. The third one is we call leverage success patterns. Rather than being deficit-oriented, how do I start with a strengths mindset to solve problems in my marriage, my family, my work? The fourth one, intelligently influencing others. How do I be with people who are not like me? How do I lift them towards high energy performance? The fifth one is called creating your conditions. I'm responsible for my conditions, not you. I have to understand how to create my own conditions. The last one's called ICU acknowledgement. It's how do I see and understand what makes you special and unique and help you understand the qualities, characteristics, and strengths that are valuable about you and your impact. Do you realize nobody understands their own impact? No one. Because we're inside of our own circle. We don't understand our own lens. It is not until someone comes back from the outside and says, wow, Kurt, I can't help but notice that you have this incredible sense of curiosity and a willingness to share your learning and the impact on me. And by the way, everybody who listens to leading LDS is that our perspective gets to be exponentially expanded by the use of your interdependence, curiosity, and it changes the whole way that we operate together. It's amazing. That's ICU acknowledgement, by the way. So it's about, it's about recognizing quality, strengths, characteristics, and helping people see their impact and understanding how to do that. This day teaches those six strength strategies. So these two men all day long, that's what they were learning. The end, we always help people create accountability by declaring their learning and talk about what they're going to do. And the Palestinian who was first all day long to speak every single time I asked a question because he was an influencer and had something to say, (laughs) was not the first one to speak. The Egyptian man who had not spoken all day was the first one to speak. And he was, he was very humble, but he looked right across the circle and made eye contact with that Palestinian and said, my most important learning is that you're my most important partner because you have what I don't. You complete me. And I've been wrong about you from the beginning. I judged you because you weren't like me. And I realized that I need you more than anyone else in this room. And so I want to apologize for the way I've treated you. I'd like to begin again. He walks across the circle, offers his hand, they shake hands, he walks back. And that Palestinian was speechless for the first time all day. 
Then everybody else speaks and he hasn't spoken. He's looking at his shoes. Everybody's looking at him and he knows it. And all of a sudden when he looks up, his eyes are moist, which is very not like him. Mm. And he looks across the circle and says, you're right. And I have done the exact same thing. I've been arrogant. I've dismissed you. I've hurt everybody in this room. I owe all of you an apology, not just you, everyone, because I've created a real problem on our team. And I, I also want to begin again and I, with a commitment to better appreciate your differences and listen longer. And so he then walks across the circle and extends his hand. And this young relationship builder, who is much younger than he was, reaches up and just hugs him. Wow. And he kisses him on both cheeks, just, which is the Arab tradition. And then everybody, at first it was awkward, and then they all start laughing. <laughs> and they're laughing, but it's like it's the release of the fear yeah. that's been in the space. That now you're okay and I'm okay. Oh. That is that day. That day is those six strategies. It is designed for you to bring your spouse someone with you. And by the way, we actually have an early bird special that if you register by the end of next week, you get to have two people come for the price of one. That's great. For, our usual price is $6.99. If you sign up by the end of next, next week and uh, we'll do it for $4.97 and you get a free assessment that allows you to measure your engagement. Interestingly enough, right? Work, joy, team connection, proactivity, confident vulnerability. And you get a free coaching session with that, right, Carl? One hour coaching session. Awesome, right? Which is the val- a value of three, $350. The entire package is worth $1,748. And we would do the whole thing for $497. And it's at the Little America Hotel in Salt Lake City on June 14th from nine to five. And we are going to provide, so in addition to the link that I said I would give you, the, yeah. it's called Claiming Your Contribution that we did for missionaries. Mm-hmm. I'll just provide that to anybody. Okay. It's so amazing. To, yeah. And you, if you do that with somebody and do the little worksheet and work your way through that, and then we'll make sure that we also have the link in when you put this podcast up that you yeah. can put out there. So people who are interested can come. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, when I put, as far as the Facebook live goes, I'll, I'll put that in, in an hour or so on the, the Facebook live. So you have it there. Can, can I mention uh, yeah. for those people who are not in the Utah area, we're also going to be doing a strength strategy for optimal performance in Washington, DC. Okay. And I think that'll probably be in July. Something like that. I don't think, yeah. I, I don't remember the date. Carl can. And, and what's the website? They can at least go and follow you. Yeah. There. It's people acuity. It sounds like a little bit of a strange name, but if you think about what acuity means, it's about seeing with clarity and sharpness. Yeah. Imagine what would happen if you could see yourself and others the way God sees them. Yeah. The world would change. So it became our mission to help people understand, who am I really? What is the difference that I can make in this world? How do I ignite other people to bring their difference and uh, we've made a mission out of it, and we call it People Acuity and Teaching People Strategic Interdependence and Strength Strategy and Purpose Alignment. And we're in 34 countries. We have 350 coaches and facilitators. We do a virtual coach certification as well, and uh, we, we teach people how to help other people see their greatness. And we've got three different kinds of certifications that people can get, a specialist and a guide and a certified coach. So it, it allows people to learn skills that will help them to be really effective both in their parenting as well as, you know, in their work life and other places. So. Awesome. Well, any, um, any final encouragement you'd have for if we were sitting in front of a room of Relief Society presidents and brand new Elder Scorn presidents, and as they venture mm-hmm. off in these one-to-one world, interview world, any final encouragement you have for them? I do. I have one. Let's hear it. Well, actually, I would say go home and read Moses 1-6 and read it with your name not Moses's. And just to give you a little hint, it's something like this. I have a work for thee 
Kurt, my son, Megan, my daughter, Lisa, my daughter, Carl, my son, you know, whatever your name is, I have a work for you. Part two. And you are in the similitude of mine only begotten. And it doesn't just mean that he has fingers and we do. It means that the gifts and talents that he has, we have all of them in here, but we've only developed eight to 10. And I believe we've been doing that for years. Actually, there is a piece of the similitude of the Savior that is more well-developed in you. And when you understand, you can use it to do a work on behalf of him. So I have a work for thee that were made in the similitude of mine only begotten. Third thing, who is full of grace and truth, which means you don't get all of him right now. You get eight to 10 things that have been fairly well-developed in the preexistence before you came here and through this life. And he has all the rest and he will complete you. Because he is full of grace and truth. So all the things you don't know how to do, don't worry, he does. But you can't do it from independence. (laughs) You have to do interdependence with him in order to have access to all 34. He will give you access. And he will magnify your gifts through him. And he will help you create combinations of your own strengths to imitate what you don't have. It's amazing. And then the last thing, which may be the most important of all. And all things are present before me. Wherefore, I see them all. And so in other words... You're going, I'm a lousy Relief Society president because I don't know how to do this, this, and this, and I don't know this well, and this well, and this well. Oh, that's not how God sees you. He sees you as you're already a mother in heaven. He sees you as if you are already an exalted being. He knows, this is how, this is the only thing I, that makes sense to me about how it must be to be a parent of so many of us who don't listen. <laughs> he sees us as we will be so he can withhold his sorrow because it's only for a moment. So he sees you as if you are done, complete, and perfect like his son. Right now, he sees you that way, whether you are that way or not. And the holding of that is the key to creating connection with him and other people in many ways. Because if I'm judging myself, I create disconnection from him and everyone else. He wants to say, give up your judgment of yourselves and give up that your value is equal to anything. It's not. In fact, he would say, you are a branch on the tree of life. And it's not how much fruit you produce or how good the quality of fruit that you produce that makes you special. It's that nobody else is that part of that branch. Nobody has the people who flowed into your life that helped you become who you are. And nobody has the people flowing out of you that you have. No one that is completely unique to you. And there is a place that only you can fill. And when you know that you have something special and you know what that something is, then you can go and give it and you can trust in his grace and you can let go of what you don't know. You can stop being scared. And I I actually know that he'll do that, that he'll magnify our gifts because he does it for me every day. Allows me to do crazy things like that book. Took me three years to write because I was so afraid of getting it wrong. I wrote 200,000 words before I published 52,000. How's that? (laughs) And had them all edited, by the way, which means I paid for that. (laughs) That thing of just letting God do his thing. Trust him. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's where great leadership's discovered. Right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling. 
and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.